Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Stephen the Warman Writes Kickfighting Podcast Show. I'm your host, Stephen the Warman. You are listening to this podcast in various ways, thanks to my good friend, awesome MMA contributor, uh, awesome podcast world contributor, uh, awesome just individual that I've known, uh, commentator uh, for Invictor. I have known TJ DeSantis for a very, very long time. He has kindly asked and said, hey, man, you don't have to give me a shout out at every show, which means I have to give him one super big shout out before I stop doing it as much. TJ is the guy. I really appreciate what he's done uh, in the MMA community and how long he's been around. Um, Just a guy who uh, really loves uh, mixed martial arts and he loves the radio world and he's, you know, made a living out of it. So I just want to take the time to give one final shout out before I don't do it as much. TJ DeSantis, thank you for what you do. You are listening to this podcast right now, either through the blog, L-O-R-D-G-A-U-L.podbean.com. Uh, which is my blog, and I post to that regularly. You can also get it through the iTunes search engine by entering Warman Kickfighting Show, and the show pops right up. Also, check me out, uh, look for me on Spotify and SoundCloud as well. So, today's episode is going to continue my series of the fighters of the, uh, from 2010, the 2010s, if you will, 2010 to 2019. Um, I'm going to do... 57 kgs and below. I do include a 57.5 because uh, K1 has that weight class. But uh, the first thing that you should note is that there really isn't a lot of history here. What I mean by that is this. Of course, there's some awesome fighters that fight in lower weight classes. Uh, But the blend between going from boxing to kickboxing, uh, excuse me, from uh, kickboxing to full rules Muay Thai, has made it a little bit, you know, tougher to keep a track of. You know what I'm saying? If I do it for full rules Muay Thai, it's much easier to do. But because I'm doing kickboxing, it was the rebirth of K1 that has produced these weight classes, which is intelligent because if you look at it on a worldview, uh, it was difficult. Uh, of course, we had the Masashi run, but for the most part, it was difficult for K1 to produce a heavyweight kickboxing champion. You know, um, uh, Satake was close, got, got really, really close because uh, he got to the final. And then, of course, uh, Masashi got to the final twice. But the athletes in the country are not as big. And if they are that big, they usually don't choose to be a kickboxer. Or they usually don't choose the route of kickboxing. They choose another sport. But for the most part, the smaller weight classes, they produce a lot of individuals that are that size and are extremely talented. A lot of individuals. So guys who are around, you know, 55 kg, 37, like we're talking 124 to 128 as far as pounds are concerned. Um, the country produces a lot. So when the rebirth of K1 came into play, they focused on smaller weight classes that had stars from those weight classes. So uh, I am going to, I might even stretch it a little bit, go more to 60 kgs in now. Uh, but I think I'm just going to keep it around 57.5 and have a separate group for 60 kgs. Because 60 kgs actually does have a, a solid um, you know, 60-61, it's got some pretty good history because it's Showtime had a 61 KG champion, uh, Sergio Wilson, uh, you know, um, uh, Kareem Benoit, to, to name a couple. Um, how's it, was it Kareem or Hassan? I believe it's Hassan Benoit. But anyways, uh, there is some history there. So uh, we will go ahead and jump right into it. And as I said before, it really did start to happen around the middle of uh, the decade, you know, around 215 uh, 2015, uh, 2016, that's when I would say 
K1 had committed tournaments and doing regular fights at the weight class. Thanks to Crush, thanks to, you know, the uh, smaller organizations in the country, they were able to develop these fighters. And then once it was time to put a tournament to introduce the first stars, they were able to pull it off. So we'll go ahead and jump into it. First one is one that is a recent name that you see uh, quite a bit. He's actually had some pretty good opportunities to fight some international opposition uh, that they've brought in for him. But I'm going to start off with the very talented Yusuke Takai. Uh, and I think that Takai is an awesome fighter, 23 years old, very important. So we're talking about a young man that's very talented and moving into the prime of his career. He is uh, He's defended his title twice uh, at um, 55 kgs. And as, you know, amateur, he had a really good run at, you know, you'll see um, 45 kg champ and stuff like that when you look at his Wikipedia page. But the thing that I want to note is not just the victories, because here's a guy who had a little bit of a slow start. One uh, lost two of three, you know, and then all of a sudden gets the the Yusho uh, Kamemoto victory by KO. And then it just starts to come together Has a really good run and crush. Uh, as he's, you know, moving up the ranks and he's getting stoppage victories. Um, you know, you've got the uh, Katsuhiro stoppage to the body. You have the Ryusei uh, KO. You, you start to see it. And then the UK uh, uh, Ueba, like you start to see, okay, this guy's got the talent. He is doing what you want Crush to do. Crush should be an organization for you to develop your skill. But most importantly, it should be, pro- you know, propelling you into K1 success. You know, now that they're all kind of under the same banner, the goal of your, your crush run should set you up to have success in K1. So I almost look at it like how in America how we look at college football. Your college football success should lead you into having professional football NFL success. Everything beneath your, you know, the, the leagues beneath you should prepare you to be successful at the top. And the biggest thing is crush doesn't arrest anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like usually when you're there, you get a decent amount of times to fight for people to see your skill set. And then you can kind of move forward after that. So once he does get the jump to the K1 Grand Prix, uh, he fought a little bit bigger at first, and then he works his way down. So I have him, uh, he fought in a, the, uh, he fought Keito Ozawa, and he fought uh, Yetsensai, uh, Sor Sopit. Uh, those were at, one was at 65 kgs in a tournament, and the other one was at 60 kgs. So he's a little bit heavier when they first started this. I think he was just doing it just because, as I mentioned before, didn't have the option, you know? And then all of a sudden, you start to see it. Brought in Jamie Whalen from England. Very, very good. I, you know, Jamie's a solid fighter. Um, good win there. And that's at 57.5 kgs, what we're talking about now. Uh, the Yuqui, that's at uh, 60, uh, 57 kgs. And then he wins the tournament against Kato Ozawa. So really, really good showing there. Uh, continues to have success. I like the Victor Sor, um, Soravia victory. Like that is a you know one of the better American kickboxers slash Muay Thai fighters. And I, when I saw that win uh, again, and I, I remember it from watching it, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, this is what we want. You want to see international names as you start to develop it. It just can't be you beat everybody in Japan, even though Japan has the most uh, talent in the division. It was important to have that on there. So. Go ahead and move forward, as I talked about before. Um, gets another 55kg tournament, and that one he beats uh, Antonio Orden, uh, Yusuke uh, Ishida, and then Kenji Kubo in the final there. So that's two very big tournament wins under 57.5kgs. And then uh, another uh, Victor Saravia victory, this time uh, body shot. 
KO. Uh, he goes on a streak where he, everybody's getting it. And I mentioned to you guys the um, the Kubo victory before. But right this period of time, he goes, stops Serbia, who we fought before, stops Kubo, who we fought before. Uh, Arkham Hamidi stops him. Uh, so it's four stoppages, and not to mention the uh, Namido Izawa victory that was in a 6-7 World Grand a pre-tournament. That was three knockdowns in that. So not only is this guy moving into his prime and doing good things, he's killing people. You know what I'm saying? And it's very important to have. Uh, we've got the um, another tournament, Super Bantamweight tournament. And this one, he beats Alex Rivas, Sahi Kumura, and then uh, Masa- uh, Masashi uh, Kumura. I, he just found his stride. He finished it off with two tie victories. Uh, those were kind of more ho-hum decisions. Uh, I, I wasn't super impressed with the day. Uh, the Day and TM uh, victory that he just had recently, but that was 2020, so who cares? The thing that matters most is he was dominant. He won several tournaments. He is a talent. He's a talented guy. Uh, just he's one of the guys that's the future for the sport. I mean, 23 years old. Like, that is that's what we all dream. We all dream to have someone that's that talented, does that type of work, and uh, they have the ability to carry the sport. And it helps if they're that young. Everybody loves young champions. Because it means that they are going to be your brand for the next seven, eight, nine, ten years. And then if someone beats them, you can go ahead and throw them into the, the, the pot. But the goal, of course, is for them to reign for a long time. And if they lose, they lose to someone their age or younger. That's kind of how you push the sport forward. If you bring in some older guy and they win at, you know, 35 years old, it's not the end of the world. It's just harder to per, you know perceive a future with these individuals. But as far as the health of K1 goes, he's an important star. So good stuff there. I'm now going to go to another guy who's won 57.5 uh, kgs. He was both the uh, K1 champion, tournament champion, and also the crush champion. I'm talking about Yuki Agawa. Um, Agawa has several very good victories that I like. Uh, and in particular, his tournament run, it has international names in it, which is extremely important. But the thing I think I like the most about his career is that he had a hiccup in the middle of it, and then he caught fire. So again, as I mentioned before, the um, resume isn't that huge for the entire weight class. So we got a 2013 uh, debut victory over Yuta uh, Uchiyama. And then, of course, we roll through. There's like a, a gap there. Uh, gets a draw, and then all of a sudden gets some early victories. Uh, Yuki Masato is another early victory for him. Uh, he stops uh, Ryota to the body. I think I have that in my highlight for the year, uh, my K-Fighting highlight. That's a big stoppage there. Musafa. Um, Kurosaki, that's another good victory. Left hook stoppage there. And then this is where the adversity comes. He loses, and again, they're close fights. He loses to Rico uh, Murasaka, and that is in chaos. And that is an extra round uh, split decision. So fought tough, just didn't go his way. Gets a stoppage over uh, Koichi uh, Chiro um, Nomashima. And uh, sorry, I apologize if you guys hear it. A plane just went over my head. Anyways, um, then he gets another loss to Shoya uh, Musumoto, and that was by majority decision, so another f- t- tough one. But the thing that I like about it is that is the middle of your career. You're doing well, and all of a sudden you run into some losses, and you got to ask yourself, what do you want to be, and how do you want to move forward? And as I look at his resume and I look at the wins that he had and how he got the wins, I was like, this guy just decided to bite down and be the best. Uh, he then, after this fight, now all the fights I mentioned before are all crush. He goes into K1 on a loss. And, and he goes to the K1, and then, of course, he gets the, uh, uh, in the featherweight champion tournament, uh, 
gets a victory over Yuta Otaki and that's KO by punches. Now again, um, uh, then we have the Hyota, uh, that was extra round victory. And he, like uh, I mentioned with Takai, you see the floating. There's not a lot of opportunities just fighting out. 55 kgs, 57 kgs. So when he didn't have it, he went and looked for more. And I think that that's what's awesome. You know, I really, really like that. I got no problem moving up in way. It gets me opportunity to compete. So shout out to him there. He then goes uh, after Yoda. He defends his 57.5 kg title at Hiroma Sakio. Uh, the reason why I like that is, as I mentioned before, 65 kgs before, 57.5 kgs for his title defense of, the cr- of Crush. That's awesome. That is, to me, amazing. Uh, and I might have the um, weight class wrong because there is a chance that Hyoda, even though it was done in K1, was still for the crush title. They do stuff like that. But anyways, uh, he gets a victory over uh, a three-dockdown victory over Tetsu. And then he gets the left hook to the body over uh, Jorge Varela. One of the more awesome things you're ever going to see. Just he uh, had already hurt because Varela did a, you know, some spinning stuff. And then he returned with his own spinning stuff, and he hurt Varala with a spinning back fist or a back kick to the body. Varala gets up, and he finishes him with the left hook to the body. Just awesome. Excuse me. Excuse me. Apologize. Varala was just beaten straight up, walked down to the corner, ripped to the body. Arthur Mayer, the next fight I'm going to talk about, that was the spinning back kick to the body where they had dueling spinning stuffs. And that was cool because, again, you've got Spain on your resume. You've got France on your resume. France in particular, all-time great country when it comes to the stand-up combat sport arts. Uh, in terms of Muay Thai and kickboxing, they've produced so many great ones. Uh, great coaches, great early fighters became great early coaches, and now you see talents all over. So shout out to them. And then we when he wins the tournament over Jasei, uh with a left hook to the body, just three body shot rippers. Now, as you mentioned, as I told you guys before, resume is not huge. Resume is not huge. Not like he beat a billion guys. In fact, he's probably in a place where He's making his legacy more than anything. And it's uh, really cool that we're in this place and we've got someone that's, you know, learning, growing, and, and uh, um, having success and is 22 years old. But this is kind of how this thing comes about. This is how this great kickboxing game comes together. It is birth of elite, super talented kids, you know, young, young fighters who then carry the sport moving forward. So then if you are fighting in that weight class around the world and you're getting your kickboxing resume, you start to dream, one day I'm going to go to Japan and fight this guy. And that's kind of how the game should always be. You know, mixed martial arts, there are people who are in Europe that are like, one day I'm going to go to the UFC. That's kind of their mentality. And then there are kickboxers all over, like, one day I'm going to fight in glory. You know, and uh, I think that's kind of the mentality you should have. If you were in that weight class, now you're starting to get some guys who are emerging and you say you know what that is the athlete that i most want to compete with that is the guy who i want to fight i want to go to japan and fight him so the dream moves on next person we're going to talk about is a very very popular name very very important name as well tension nasakawa so clearly uh tension nasakawa has been fighting at 58 kgs a lot but as i said before uh 60 kgs and up is my next one so if you're at 58 it's not the end of the world for me um, but the biggest thing I wanted to focus on is this guy is a talent and he's been floating back and forth between kickboxing and MMA, but we're talking about a kid who is undefeated. The only blemish being that Mayweather thing that they shouldn't have done, but maybe it made him a good check. But the most important thing is after the Mayweather fight, he went right back to kill it. You know, that was the big concern, but he moves up the ranks and then with all great people, 
You know, there's usually some story of them young. And, of course, there's some footage of him that emerges, and he's doing the same, you know, jumping spin kicks and, you know, handstand kicks. Like, he's, he plays with it early in his career. And then he starts to make a name for himself, starts to build up the ranks. You have the uh, Kim Jong-un victory for Blade. You have the Rise 104 victory over Masaru uh, Fujimoto. And, again, he's getting stoppages early in his career. This is the beginning of his career. KO, 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 decision, KO, 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 KO. So, KO, all the way up. He goes on a KO streak um, with uh, Makoto, Makoto uh, Kishima is the only decision fight in the streak. But from 2012 all the way up to 2016 um, against uh, Manolis uh, Castel- uh, Kalistis, uh from Greece, that's the next decision he has. So that is one decision in four years. Everybody else is hitting the floor. And again, that's what you want. You want your elite guy to show that they are superior to their opposition. Not that the opposition is giving them any kind of resistance. If they're going to be the future of your sport, those are signs that they should show. If you're winning a bunch of decisions early in your career, still means you could be a good fighter. But if you're American guys, you know, like you're you know, playing Call of Duty or something like that, then you know you're that deal. And Tenshin Nasukawa came up the ranks doing just that. He follows the, um, the Manalis um, uh, decision victory with back to the chaos. Gets one over Mayamoto, gets a decision over Fred Kidiero, and then we go on another KO streak. Uh, Tarek Tot stops him. Lin Ben stops him. Does have a decision with uh, Murakoshi, Yuta Murakoshi, but then back to it. Wanchalong PK Sanchai, uh, one of the more awesome KOs you're going to see. The spinning back at KO uh, in 30 seconds uh, stops him. Uh, I'm not stops him with the hook to the body. Uh, uh, Ryan Sheehan, a rise, stopped him. Kazeman uh, Sega, of course, who was uh, K1, had a great run in K1 for a long period of time before he ended up in this uh, risen open round here, stops him with a uh, um, left cross. He is developing it. And another stop in the, in the next fight uh, against um, uh, Vicenelec. Uh, and then he has the Ignacio Campania, uh, com- excuse me, Caplanche, ah, Caplanche uh, KO, and the Ignacio victory is a huge victory. There was a period of time where Ignacio was looking like he was going to be the future of the sport for the small division. Now, unfortunately, he didn't get the opportunity to get in young. It, he showed the kickboxing skill. Like, he has it. He plays with just the spin kicks and so on, just like everybody else. But he has that in his uh, uh, wheelhouse. But... It just didn't come together for him the same way. Like it just, he just got older when he got his Japan opportunities, and you know he had pretty much was uh, had lost to most of the guys over there. Uh, not to mention um, his uh, WGP time, he had some losses there too. So unfortunately for him, he wasn't at his prime when he got over there. But I don't know how much it would have mattered because Nasukawa is that deal. He's just mentally better. Came out really throwing some spinning. Uh, you know, spinning, jumping, you know, uh, everything came. He wins that one with a spinning hook kick, if I remember correctly. He's just amazing, 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 amazing. And then we continue. Um, KO, uh, the flying knee over Yuya uh, Hamamoto. And then he has the three knockdowns against Yamoto Fujita. This is still the Risen Tournament. I believe that was the final of the Risen Tournament. So it was done over a certain period of time. And then we have the Sikam, Sip, Sore, Through, uh, Thor 2. Uh, and knockout, 
campaigning and rise, campaigning and risen, campaigning and knockout this period of time. Uh, Yusaka uh, Nakamura, uh, Rod Tang at Rise 125 is one of the great kickboxing, and I guess it's kind of like adjusted Muay Thai. You know, they don't have the long clinch, so it's not all the way Muay Thai, uh, but they do have elbows, and and um, it was probably one of the great fights that I've ever seen in my life. Rod Tang is an amazing, amazing fighter. It was tough to find a place for him in here because really now that he's, you know, fighting in one championship, he's you know, doing a lot of full rules Muay Thai. So I couldn't find a spot for him. But as far as talent goes, he's one of the best. And these guys were killing each other. They had an extra round decision after five rounds. So they really put on a great show. And that fight right there is probably the defining fight of Nasukawa's young career. Um, the Kyoji Hiroguchi. Now, Hiroguchi is an MMA fighter, but he put up such good resistance and he fought extremely well that everybody's like, hey, this guy is amazing um, for even putting up any kind of resistance against Tenshin Nasukawa. So it produced a really good fight. And Hiroguchi, if you, for those in the MMA community, it's been told that when he was at ATT, he was the best guy in the room. Like, he's just full MMA talent. He has every skill and he's good everywhere. So it wouldn't be surprising or wasn't surprising to me when he does, when he did go over to kickboxing, and he was so formidable in his one outing. Next is Takai Nato, and that was a three knockdown stoppage there. Perjuko Roma, KO stoppage. Fitz uh, Begton, TKO stoppage and three knocks down. Martin Blanco, TKO stoppage, three knockdowns. Sakim PK, Santai uh, Muay Thai Gym, TKO, doctor stoppage. A rolling thunder, uh, really, really cool how that went. Scored well, scored a knockdown, but of course caused the cut. Uh, I'm telling you, this kid is legit. Uh, rounds this out with the Shiro, and then he wins the Risen uh, full-year tournament they did in 2019 uh, by beating Ru Ibada. He was supposed to fight Yuki earlier this month, but of course with the coronavirus, that was put off. So it really was, it really is great to see this young man doing what he's doing. And as I mentioned before, we had a 23-year-old on this podcast a 22-year-old on this podcast, and now we are at a 21-year-old. So he turns 22 in August. But we're talking about, um, we are watching history as it's been made. Just a wonderful super talent in his prime. Uh, just, it's been so fun watching how talented this guy is and what he's done. And, uh, you know, again, we will see what the future holds. And, you know, hopefully we'll get, you know, have a lot more success from him. He has some decisions to make because clearly we want to know if he's going to go the kick the K1 kickboxing route. We want to know if he's going to, you know, go glory. We want to know if he's just going to go ahead and stay and risen. Uh, but he is the main guy that I wanted to talk about for the weight class. I was so torn. Um and some of the other guys, and I am gonna, I've got one more, you know, but he's the main guy who I wanted to say for the future of the division. The other guy's gotten heavier now, so that's why I didn't mention him as much. But, like, he is the guy, you know. He is extremely special. He's extremely talented. Uh, if the division is going to be somewhere down the road, it is because of him. So I am looking at this right now, and I am trying to convince myself to add Takuru to this particular list. And I am. I was going to put him on 60 kgs, but really he got going below 60 kgs at 58, 55 kgs. But we're going to go ahead and jump right into this with, you know, a guy who 
is considered by a lot of people as the pound-for-pound pound best kickboxer in the world. Uh, you see that floating around. There's a meme for it just kind of floating around, you know, and then some people will say after one of his fights, but Takuru, the Lord of War, you know what I'm saying? And there's two people who've got that name. The other one brings the war all the time, but the win count is very much in favor of Takuru for career. He just brings it. He is exciting. He is the face of K1 kickboxing. Uh, he is a special, special talent, and uh, he is a violent, violent dude. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, his early career actually um, started uh, before 2011, but uh, 2011 is when we really get picking up, okay? So Crush, again, Crush 12, Crush, we've heard that name before. The Crush organization, Crush with a K, uh, has done such a good job of helping the youth in uh, Japan develop into high-level pros ready for the K1 brand, which means ready to go against the best in the world. And he's another guy who took advantage of his crush time. And he's another guy who showed you in his crush time that he's just, you know, straight tomato, tomato, uh, tomato canning these guys. He's just so good. He's just running through people early on. So we have the uh, Kamata Hirofumi KO. And then he gets a, a Katsumi Masuda uh, decision. And then he gets on a roll. He has the Kazunori uh, KO. He has the Kazun. Uh, Suzuki Tanaka KO. He has the Masanori Shimada KO. And then he has a loss, should we know, TKO, doctor stoppage loss, but still a stoppage loss in favor of uh, Kyutani Yuki. Moves on, fights Masada Yuki. It's a new uh, decision there. And then back to the KOs. Uh, Yuya Suzuki stopped. Sakaki uh, Katsuki, Katsuki stopped KO. First round that one. Uh, Another KO with a straight right in uh, Crush 26 quarterfinal tournament. Uh, the first big-time tournament victory of his life, 58 kgs. He beats uh, uh, Yugimi Kenta, Yuzo Kazu- uh, Suzuki, and uh, the very, very important one, Nubacheka Torado. Like, that was a very, very important run. Torado is one of the guys that was borderline for this list. Like, he's so, so talented. Um, and he's got some big wins, and, of course, he's got the uh, the huge fight. And I mean, it, it is something like most of his career was in crush. So that comes up. But like when I look at some of his fights and some of the wars that this guy's been in, it really was, he was kind of like my borderline, but that's how talented he is. And then he was in uh, one of the fights of the year when he go, when he went against the, um, uh, the other Lord of War uh, from England and, um, Housing, Andy Housen, sorry, I was having a mental lapse there. But Andy Housen and uh, him put on a you know a really good fight for the KO stoppage, uh, and um, he was in some other wars. Is just a talented, talented guy, and I really considered him for this list. But this tournament and this victory in particular was the crowning achievement for the early career of Takuru. And after this victory, he continued the role. Uh, goes to KO over Lee uh, Sobin and uh, from Korea, the Goto Katsuya victory. Uh, it just he found his stride, defends his title several times. Uh, at fifty, uh, has a Tega title defense, has a um, uh, Yuzu Suzuki title defense, has a Shoto Kanabe title defense. It's so important that he has these on the resume as well. He wins the title, of course, as I said after being Torada. But then he went on to be a reigning champion. The spinning backfist KO over Tega. 
he gets it done. And then finally, 2015, he gets his K-1 debut. We get the opportunity to see him on the highest stage. And what did he do on the highest stage? He does what he did on the lowest stage. He beat everybody. Goes out there, Alexandre uh, uh, Frillip. Uh, I believe it's I believe it's Philip. I believe he's a Russian fighter. Uh, gets a victory by body shot KO. Uh, the Shoda uh, Takia uh, victory, a TKO stoppage, and then he gets Tega in the final round of that tournament, and he wins the 55 kg tournament. So he then, if I've got this right in front of me, moves up to 70 kgs. and gets a victory over Kim Hamesh. That's true. That's awesome. That could also be a misprint, but awesome stuff there. One of the cooler fights you're ever gonna see. The Charles uh, Bonjiavani uh, fight where he is knocked down in the first round, gets up and knocks Charles down three times in the second round to get the KO victory. It is not just that he's a winner, it's that he's a killer. You know, like he's just something in him is got to be in your face, got to bang it out. I want the best of you, mano a mano. Who's going to back down? It's not going to be me. Something about this guy has always wanted to be great in this way. It's not just that he's a talented guy, and you see it with he's he spread the imagination. I'll get into it a little bit more, but like you see it when he um, he goes on these tours where he travels all, all over the states, and he'll just learn. He'll go to Freddie Roach's gym just for some boxing, and then you'll see him pop up at Dwayne Lugridge's gym to do some sparring with T.J. Dillashaw, and then you'll see him. And again, in these sparring sessions, uh, not always the best. Uh, uh, idea for fighters, but he's in all-out wars, absolutely killing each other. There's a couple times where he hit someone after the bell, or they hit him after the bell, and like, like, didn't matter. Like, like, just something about this kid brings the war. The, the term calling him the Lord of War isn't simply because of what he does in ring action. It is his life. His sparring reflects it. There are a lot of videos where he's at the K1 gym and he'll knock out a sparring partner, and a lot of people are like, I don't think that's a good idea. But it's just the fact that this guy exudes violence no matter wherever he goes. I'll go ahead and wrap up the rest of his career. Um, he has the uh, Jamie Whalen victory, uh, and that's at 57.5 kgs. Uh, he had a, um, uh, what was it? There was another Japan tournament. In this one, he goes against Yotenchai, uh, and he also gets Kato Ozawa. Those are also very solid victories for him. Um Cool Fairtex, they had a um, exhibition. I'm not, I won't count that, but it would have been cool if they actually fought each other. Um, Jamie Whalen, I mentioned before, Yukui, uh, Kato Ozawa, that wraps up his 57.5 kg tournament. So he wins at 55 kgs, then he wins at 57.5. If I don't say anything else about it, he makes it. The rest of this resume, most of the rest of it, was him daring to be great once more and moving up to 60 kgs. And he did so. You know, he beats. Uh, uh, Tavoris, uh, ex uh, Costodis, it gets uh, Masinobi, uh, Go, uh, Gashio, and then of course he gets Kosuke uh, Kumiyama, and that was for the final at 60 kgs. There was a couple of fights in between there, there was a, a Victor Saravia fight in between there that I had mentioned, but like he has these great, this great resume, and at the very end of the decade, he just decides to build on it with a couple more uh, accolades. I am a big fan of his. Uh, there are some other fights I can mention. He has a Koji fight. He's got the uh, Yot uh, Kitsada uh, KO with the right hook, and that was in K-Festa last year. The Yuta Mur- uh, Murakoshi fight was an all-out beatdown war by both guys. Really, really good effort of Yuta in, defi- uh, in um, defeat. But this guy, 
from everything I told you about him. It's not just the fact that he's a winner. It's the fact that he brings something different. He is the biggest star. They, you know, the, the big war, of course, and there's the big, when's it going to happen between him and Tenshin Nasukawa? Uh, the only thing, the only asterisk to him that I could possibly say, and it's not a big one, but it's there, is he's older. Guess how much older? He's 28 years old. That's it. That's how old he is. He is 28 years old in his prime. You've seen him killing it for most of his 20s, and he is their current star. Now, I've heard rumors that he just wants to do the Chinchin fight and then uh, retire. Man, that could be true. It could be true. But the guy's young, and he loves this sport so much that he travels and he puts himself out there. Spars good because he's he fights at 126. He's going against uh, Dillashaw. He, he's going against other great fighters in the country. I saw him, um, for those of you who are familiar with the um, New York kickboxing scene, uh, he sparred with Debella. Debella fought on the undercard. Uh, um, Jonathan Debella fought on the undercard, undercard for Glory Kickboxing before. He's a talent, man. He's a talented guy, uh, and he's sparring against elite guys, and he's going to the States. He's training with people. He's growing all the time. He seems like he loves the process. And whenever someone's in that place, you do wonder, okay, what is this guy going to be down the road? Right now, he's considered one of the best pound-for-pound kickboxers in the world. Takura Sagawa, uh, I just threw the Sagawa on there just so you could hear his last name. He's really just a Kuru. He brings it. He's an amazing, amazing fighter. And that wraps up my uh, team, my decade, uh, best fighters of the decade um, from 2010 to 2019 at under 60 kgs. So I'm going to go ahead and give you guys another gem from the past. Uh, I'm going to take you to the K1 2006 K- uh, World Grand Prix won by Bocal. But in this, in this uh, tournament is one of the great, and I mean all-time great fights. First of all, it's, you guys have heard me say on this podcast before, I truly believe it is the best uh, K1 card I've ever seen in my life. Like it is, it is a top to bottom. There's so many storylines. There's so many, you know, pat, there's passing of the guard. There's more, uh, there is um, old coach names, you know, new coach names. Um, there's stoppages in most of the fights. There's a knockdown in every fight. Like it's just, it, it's just so so good storylines from top to bottom. Even the fact that Yotzin quite makes an appearance in it, and uh, he gets to go against you know the you know a super league champion. And it's just the top to bottom. It was amazing. It was an amazing amazing card. One of the gems of that card is Virgil Calacuto versus Andy Sauer, and it, it's crazy because. As great a card and as great a career as Andy Sowers had, Virgil Calacuta is not probably going to be one of the names that is considered on the list for his resume. Like, you won't look at the list and say, man, this guy is the all-time greatest, you know, kickboxer. Or this guy is the all-time greatest uh, fighter in his weight class because of this win. You would never say Virgil Calacuta. But sometimes in a tournament and a night, and it's just special, and someone just has it. You know, they just put it all together. Sometimes when that happens, you get the the greatness and the, the the majesty of what makes the sport great. Putting it all together, and man, when I look back on this tournament, I look back on this this athlete. Everything in me is like, all right, it really did come together, and um, it, it just had a fantastic, fantastic 
finish that none of us could have ever imagined. Like this, it just came together great. Uh, it, it, it was the kind of fight where you're like, I don't know who's going to win, but I don't care. Like that's how good it is. So we start off with Andy Sauer uh, and Virgil Calcuta. Sauer, of course, Virgil was a boxer. And uh, of course, you know the name Calcuta. His father was the coach for Mike Bernardo and several other fighters from uh, the South African area. So that was what kind of got this started. Virgil was a boxer there, and he wanted to move to kickboxing after he became a world champion uh, in one of the smaller organizations uh, in, in South Africa. So he goes out, and in his first fight, he goes against Josh Hirosato. Anytime he threw a punch, Sato threw a kick. And he just figured him out, kept working. But you did realize really early on, Virgil Kalakuta had pretty good leg endurance. So he was able to sustain it. And then afterwards, Yoshihiro Sato talked to him. He says, hey, do, he says, do it in reverse. Anytime someone kicks you, punch them. So don't just punch and try to be, be first all the time and let them kick you. No, you start to dance. Uh, or excuse me, you let them start to dance and then you respond uh, back. Because normally you're sitting on your counters heavy when we fought. But you kept allowing me to get several kicks off before you got a punch off. And he said, he, anytime the guy kicks you, punch him. So Virgil started to find his stride, started to do a little bit better. He was able to advance, uh, you know, to the tournament. And it's crazy because he lost to Bukau and the quarterfinal round or the qualifying round. And then due to like someone being injured, he was voted in by the K1 staff. And he, I remember him posting it because Virgil Calacuda was a great, great about being in the fight forums, great about like being one of us, if you, if you will. And man, it was really cool to see him go out there and like he even found his his nickname from the fight form. He asked everybody, uh, and then one of them said Conqueror, so he came out and he had his robe, and his robe said Virgil Conqueror Calacuda. Anyways, back to the action. He comes in with. A really good effort and defeat against Bukau, and he gets this opportunity. Andy Sauer comes in as one of the all-time greats, and in a, you know, I don't know if I want to use the word, uh, well, I don't, I don't think I used the word stunner, but, like, he, um, his fight over Amaro was clear, but he should have done much better. Like, we had lower expectations for it. So we were stunned that he wasn't as dominant. He was still dominant, but not as, you know, what we were expecting. But Sauer is still, at this period of time, one of the three best. And at this tournament, you're looking at the field, you think it's going to come down to three people. It's going to be Masato, it's going to be Sauer, it's going to be Bukau. Those are the three. We get into the action, and these guys are exchanging. They're in the pocket. Uh, Virgil, you know, looking for his boxing. Andy, you know, throwing kicks here and there. Virgil throwing kicks here and there. Then all of a sudden, boom, Virgil knocked down Andy Sauer. After he gets the knockdown, Andy gets back up, but Virgil is on the hunt. He goes after him. He's hurting him. He's throwing good shots, but uh, the earmuff and the guard of Sauer is able to help him buy some time. Next thing you know, he's able to get out of the round. Good job by Virgil Calcuta. Gets a clear 10-8 start to the fight. Round two, Andy Sauer gets his kickboxing flow on. And I mean, he is, his combination of kick flow is just flowing. He's putting it all together. He's got good hands, good strength. Uh, he's clearly outclassing Virgil in the second round. Round two goes to Vir uh, to Sauer, but Virgil's still up because he had the 10-8 first round. Round three, hurt by the low kicks, is hanging out in the exchanges a little bit more. All of a sudden, you're hooking with a hooker. You guys are both in the pocket. Fastest hook wins. Andy Sauer drops Virgil Calacuda. 
Virgil Calacuta is super hurt. Not like how Sauer was hurt in the first round. He is in bad shape. But he gets up, puts up his guard, tries to fight back. Andy Sauer puts on an offensive flurry, and he finishes it by he gets into a clinch position. Uh, doesn't grab the head too much, but he throws some pretty good knees. Ref gets in there and stops it. Andy Sauer is your winner by TKO in the third round. It is one of my favorite fights in terms of asking your fighter to stay composed when things don't go their way. And this is a tournament, and it asked for him to be greater. He goes on, and he needs Masato after this. But, like, in this tournament, he's sitting there thinking, I've already been knocked down, so not only do I have to fight my hardest just to get past this guy, i got to go, you know, put my hardest into winning this whole tournament. So the cardio and the conditioning and the work put in to get him in position to have success here was just absolutely amazing. But the mental capacity that it took to go down in round one of a tournament where you know if this goes to decision, the chances of you losing are extremely high. He goes out there and puts on a clean kickboxing clinic in round two, and he's able to find the power to get the knockdown to get his 10-8 in round three. But instead of waiting, he closes the show, gets the stoppage. Great job at Virgil Calacuta, who showed his kickboxing growth and really put on a good performance. Great job by the great Andy Sauer, uh, who also did really, really good and putting on one of the performances that I'll remember in kickboxing forever. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this show up by talking about Bronco Sikatik. And the thing with Bronco is um, Bronco Sikatik uh, passing away is... I'm trying to think of how to describe his career. Uh, first of all, you know, prayers and condolences to his family. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, it, it's one of those things where it's like you can't you can't predict it. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't you don't know when your hour is going to come, as 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 we say. And um, and I think that his career is going to be defined. I think someone on Twitter said it the best. They said. He wasn't the best kickboxer in the world, but he beat him, you know, and I think that that is very, very important. Now, if you look at his overall career, it it quickly goes towards MMA, so we miss out on some of it. And really, he had more struggles in kickboxing than success. You know, he did have the victory, so he's got a victory over Andre Menard, you know, who ended up, you know, uh, uh, helping him train down the road. But like he, he had some really solid victories, but... You look, Stan uh, um, um, Longanitas gets a victory over him, and that was in the old school two round, uh, two minute, twelve round kickboxing bouts. Um, but uh, Stan got a victory over him, Stan the man. Uh, and uh, even though he has the Ernesto who's the victory, Ernesto got got him back. Uh, Andy who got him? Um, uh, the excuse me, I apologize. Uh, he did not, and who's did not get that victory back after? Uh, uh, Bronco won the K1 World Grand Prix. Um, who got him? Masaki Satake got him. Longanitas got him again. Uh, the Another KO stoppage over Hoost. And then he's got the Sam Greco and Mike Bernardo losses. But if you look at his career as a whole, um, and I mean, who, who's got him like earlier in his career? But the most important thing, and I say his most important contribution to kickboxing is he won the first ever K1 World Grand Prix. Like, that is the most important thing. Now, there are other things that people remember him for. He probably had the best game day stare ever in the history of staring. If you ever want to look at a guy who had a pre-fight look on their face, this guy looked like he could murder the world. Like, you you looked at this dude, you're like, all right, if he's the 
last guy in a Bond movie, it makes perfect sense to you. You know, he had that stare. And he just found some special moments. And as I mentioned before, Bruce beat him earlier. But when they were on the biggest stage, he was able to land one of the cleanest hooks you're ever going to see and win by KO to be the first K1 World Grand Prix champion in a year that most people thought Peter Arthur was going to win it. And then later, of course, he was able to beat Hoos on a K1 Legends event. So, wasn't the best kickbox in the world, but he beat him. Got a victory over Masashi, too. Uh, Masaki Satake, who I mentioned, beat him uh, later. He's got a victory over him. That was in the K1 World Grand Prix Tournament. It really was not the most spectacular career, but man, did it have some spectacular moments. So shout out to Bronco Sikatik. Uh, I hope things are well for your family, and uh, thank you for your contribution to kickboxing, and thank you for really your role in the first K1 World Grand Prix. Uh, it, another connection for those of you who are interested, uh, he was one of Tom Harnick's guys, so Tom's in there with him when he went to K1 World Grand Prix, and it's just really, really cool. It's, it's a cool experience, and uh, it was cool to see him have the um, the victories in his life. Uh, has a loss to Don the Dragon Wilson, for those of you guys who are old school, uh, who the guy who did all the movies. But, man, uh, it was sad when I heard this news. I was supposed to add this to the podcast earlier, but I didn't. Uh, I figured today was a good time to slide it in. So uh, definitely I hope all is well in that situation. Thank you so much to all the people who have been listening and following the podcast. Uh, feel free to send me questions. Feel free to you know send dissension if you like it, if you don't like it, if it makes sense to you. Um, I'm good with anything. This is a learning thing where we share ideas. And, and really, I just love talking kickboxing. So I'm grateful for everybody listening to my podcast and who have been with me this time. So God bless and have a good one. Peace.